Welcome to the Bio Charisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. This week we have George Weissman of eagle-research.co. George Weissman has been making the tour as of late, really uh, bringing to the world HHO and Brown's gas uh, technology to the forefront, mainly for health with his AquaCure system. But um, I wanted to take this podcast a little bit of a different direction. Um, George (laughs) and I are simpatico in our love for over unity systems. So we do, we do touch on Brown's gas, but we, uh, we do a a nice little meander into um, the world of free energy. Uh, As of late, I've been uh, diving back into that now that I have my uh, farmstead, my domestead in Missouri, and man, am I excited. I can see why they're pushing Elon on people because uh, the, the other technologies, the combustion t- technologies that are afoot these days are just out of this world. So enjoy the podcast with George, and I'll see you on the flip side. Good day, BioCruzmites. We are here with the man, the myth, the legend, George Weissman of AquaCure. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, so I, I was just about to give George a brief history of my uh, my free energy musings just to establish a little bit of a rapport. Um, so I put a chronology down here on my whiteboard. I've, uh, I've been aware of your work uh, in earnest since I think about 2011 with the water torches. I had uh, really gotten into um, the running a car on water. And oh, in 07, I, was, I, I got my first Joe cell. Then in 08, I got my first Mojo cell. And I was full on to like, okay, we're going to run cars on Oregon. <laughs> and uh, we had some pretty good results. You've, you've been interviewed by my friend Moshe Daniel, Dr. Moshe Daniel Block. And uh, he, you know, I read his work and I had some success with a Joe cell. So when he made a spherical Joe cell, I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> but uh, we we never got our charging circuit to be able to handle every single environment. We found that our charging circuits within the car would work well if we were out in the country. But if we ever went into an area where cell phones were, it went kaput. And so, um, yeah, it was pretty interesting because I know you speak a lot about uh, water and its consciousness. And that's where really I would like to go with you today. Because uh, I've seen you've been on the circuit. I've listened to all of your interviews with Lindsay Sharman, uh, Mark Steves, like all of them. And everybody's talking about your AC50 and we can get into that. But I mean, I'm, I'm a water nerd and I, I've been working on my own water purification systems. And I would just like to, to kind of get into defining some terms because I need somebody like you that has a a little bit more of a scientific background in the sense that you're an experimenter. Like you, 
you're much more <laughs> prolific than I am. I've done a bunch of experimentation and like, you know, backyard parts and all this other stuff. But um, I would like to, to define orgone. I would like to define hydrogen, not just from an elemental perspective, because I think when you're talking about water, we have to get into the magic of hydrogen. Define Brown's gas, like let's just nerd as hard as we can. <laughs> I know I'm throwing the I'm throwing the kitchen sink at you, but uh, this is this is something that uh, my heart is just uh, pounding right now because I, I really see you as one of the top people in this field, and I want to get into it. Well, I certainly have um, some uh, experience. Unfortunately, it it tends to be in in segments. Mm -hmm. I really don't know what organ energy is. I've, I've no I've one researched. does. Okay, there you go. <laughs> we know the effects of it. I mean, we know Wilhelm right. Reich's we know Wilhelm Reich's definition or what he said where it comes from. But it's just like asking an electrician what is electricity. Electricians don't know what electricity is. Yes. You know. So true. I'm right there with you. So there, there are some researchers who have done a better job of uh, researching organ than I have. Um, uh, Peter Lindemann, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's uh, and and there's what's the what's the opposite of organ? The, Door. It, and that's bad. Yes, it is. <laughs> so whenever you get into like radioactive, an area where there's radioactivity or something, then the organ goes bad. It goes to this negative. Uh, where organ tends to be life affirming, mm -hmm. this tends to be life destroying for some reason. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some sort of a a life and health energy associated with organ. But also, if you, I don't know if you've seen the experiments where if you wrap uh, a gas tank, a fuel tank, petro tank, with layers of uh, organic and non-organic, so like um, newspaper and aluminum, mm -hmm. just as many wraps as you can get around the tank. It'll it'll act as an organ accumulator, and that organ energy in the that's imparted into the fuel gives you better fuel mileage. That's that's so significant because you know what I see organ as. It, I I see it as Schauberger's collagens, because what we notice you are you're familiar with Victor Schauberger, correct? Yes. <laughs> so yes. he talked about in some of his papers this this aspect of imparting quality. And he called them collagens, <laughs> like just, you know, he wasn't a, a particle physicist or anything like that. But you know how, you know, scientists want, always want to talk in particles. But I see orgone as that similar thing, because chi, prana, orgone, all these things, when they're, when they're infused into something, the quality of that thing improves, like the quality of the, the quality the, the bar raises. So, cause it's like, it would make the fuel a better fuel. It would make the engine run better. It makes the human function at a higher potential. Like whatever it's doing, whatever it is, this life energy, it adds to the quality of things. Yes, I agree. And, uh, and, and that, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> then it then it just goes on from there like so once people understand how to make an uh, organ accumulator 
similar to uh, how a person would uh, turn on a uh, wire an electrical circuit. So you, you figure the electrons go this way and that way. And of course, even electrical theory has changed over time. Mm -hmm. That's why they have positive and negative. And then they, they learned that, oh, the electrons go from the negative to the positive, not from the electricity going from the positive to the negative kind of thing, was, which is how I learned about electricity when I was growing up working on the farm. But then once I started studying electronics, well, then I got into the electron theory. And and, and again, it's a theory. It's a hypothesis. People mm -hmm. assume certain things and, and it tends to, the experiments tend to prove out. But there's certain things that I've discovered in my uh, research that are totally not making sense. Right. <laughs> For example, let's say you have uh, a battery or a capacitor. It has a, a positive I'm going to say charged plate mm -hmm. and a negative charged plate. And in theory, the negatively charged plate has all the electrons on it. And the, and the positive one um, has holes or something where the electrons can go. This is electron theory. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I've discovered that uh, heat, light, and electricity are actually side effects of electron movement, and they do not consume electrons. Mm -hmm. And this is really important. We'll get back to that in just a minute. So when you have the electric, you turn on a switch and allow the electrons to flow from the negative charge to the positive charge. So there's a there's a potential difference, and you've got your negativity up here and your positive down here, and the electrons flow one to the other. Mm -hmm. Okay, during that flow, you can make heat, light, and electricity. You can have uh, radiant light, uh, radiant heat, uh, heat up an electric element, do work of some kind. Exactly. As it's flowing. Okay, but in the end you have the same number of electrons as you had in the start. Precisely. Just from here to here. So there's a potential difference in energy, but it didn't consume the electrons. And that's mm -hmm. this is really important, especially when we get back to things like uh, the Brown's gas. Mm -hmm. And Brown's gas has uh, something called, I call electrically expanded water. So mm -hmm. we'll quickly define Brown's gas. Brown's gas has six different constituents. And if you go to my eagle-research.com website and go, or even aquacure.life and go, what is Brown's gas? In the frequently asked questions, you'll see a much more detail than what I'm going to say right now. But Brown's gas is mostly hydrogen in a molecular form, which means it's a, a molecule is more than one atom. So you got H2, two atoms of hydrogen, O2, two atoms of oxygen, you have a little bit of H, which is single and shouldn't be there, according to physics. You have a little bit of O, again, shouldn't be there. Uh, and so there's four constituents, but you also have two uh, varieties of water. You've got normal water vapor, which everyone knows water vapor is steam. And then you have a, a form of water I call electrically expanded water. Mm -hmm. Now, in scientific terms, it would be called a negatively charged cold plasma. Okay. So the fourth state of matter. You've got your solid, which is ice, your liquid, which is water, your your gaseous uh, phase, which is called water vapor or steam, and then plasma is supposedly the fourth state of matter. And it doesn't have to be hot. There's a lot of cold plasmas. People seem to think, oh, it has to be sun temperature hot. It's no. not true. No. The, uh, the um, fluorescent lighting tubes are lit with a cold plasma, for example, inside. Mm. Okay. So we have this uh, cold plasma form of water, cold, negatively charged. So what happens is uh, there's a, a negative plate and a positive plate. The negative plate is called the cathode, positive is the anode. And as you, you go, as the electrons flow through the electrolyzer, so you have a bunch of, uh, you have a solution in here that's got a, um, a catalyst in it. 
we usually use lie. Mm -hmm. And so as the electrons flow from here, the negative plate through the solution to the positive plate, there's something called an electron bridge that is formed. And I didn't even know about this till 2019 when uh, I was at a, a conference in, uh, in Germany and the speaker before me, I was speaking at the conference, mm -hmm. presented this, this, uh, these experiments that precisely showed what it is that I had been missing all of these years, which was what's the electron bridge. His name is Chuck Yi, if you happen to uh, look that up. Okay. So in any case, um, what happens is, as the electrons flow through the solution, uh, essentially trading themselves off uh, molecule to molecule or however it happens to do, the electrons start stuffing themselves into water, into H2O. And, to, and the water soaks up the electrons like a sponge soaks up water until the water becomes a gaseous form of water, which is not water vapor or steam. It's electron rich. It's a plasma form of water. And since it's electron rich, it's negatively charged. So you have a negatively charged plasma form of water. The interesting thing is that we had these electrons flowing and all the electrons that left the cathode ended up in, in the anode, okay? Because electrical circuits the electrons flow exactly the same in all parts of the circuit, supposedly. Mm -hmm. I won't get into the anomalies of that either. The point is, we now have water that has soaked up electrons, but where did they come from? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is one of those side effects that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's grabbing energy from somewhere, and they're manifesting as electrons in this water. Now, when the water loses its electrons, it just goes back to water. So it was never part of the Faraday equations. This is really important. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of this can go back into the Jocell and, and that kind of thing as well. We'll get to that in a second. But what happens is the as, uh, as the water soaks up the electrons and is not part of the Faraday equation, then you have a, a third gas coming out with the hydrogen and oxygen. So you have the hydrogen and oxygen and this electrically expanded water and all those come out and that's called Brown's gas. Now, a lot of electrolyzers out there have a membrane in between the anode and cathode, which cause them to uh, have the gases come out two different hoses. So you have a hydrogen coming out one side, the oxygen coming out the other side. And then they'll combine these and call it Brown's gas. It's not. It's not Brown's gas. Nope, that's oxyhydrogen. And it's fine, but it's not Brown's gas because it doesn't have the electrically expanded water because the membrane prevents this electron bridge from forming, and which is the thing that causes the electrons to get formed into the water, mm -hmm. which makes water gas. Okay. So the Brown's gas can do things that molecular hydrogen cannot. And just combining the uh, uh, hydrogen and oxygen gives you something similar to the Brown's gas, but doesn't have certain attributes, which we're being able to experimentally prove. So in any case, we 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 have now defined Brown's gas. We've also defined this anomaly of uh, this electron flow mm -hmm. that is really important. So, so this is awesome because the the devices that I've I've done the majority of my experiments with were the Joe cell and mostly with the Mojo cell. And so for people that don't know what that is, you essentially have three 16L stainless steel and you have a five inch sphere, that's the outer, we make that the an the anode, or no, the cathode. And then- Negatively charged cathode, yes. Yeah, 
and then at then it steps down one inch in diameter so it goes from a five inch to a four inch to a three inch to a two inch and then the very middle is a bismuth core to have the the very high diamagnetic charge but you've between each one of these spheres there's holes so the water that's touching the outer sphere is touching the very inner core so the membranes in that, as you're saying, there the, it would appear that the membrane there's a membrane between the cathode and the anode, but there isn't. <laughs> um, it's just the from what I understand with how nature works, the mimicking effect. Whenever you can mimic a shape, and and do the Russian doll thing. <laughs> you end up getting a condensate. You end up getting a concentration of energy. And Moshe's genius was like, okay, the Joe cell, which is the same thing, but it's, it's cylindrical. The Joe cell, you only have so much surface area. And that surface area between one and the other, holding the amount of water that it does, hey, why don't we just make it more complicated and make the, the cylinder within a cylinder within a cylinder, make it a sphere within a sphere within a sphere? Because, hey, it's all spherical. <laughs> at least at that, at that time, that's where the mind was. And so um, the second I saw his, his invention, I was like, oh, that's it. We're going to make so much uh, orgone that we'll be able to run everything. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, is, spheres this is going to sound really wild to people but spheres are more sensitive than cylinders so just so you know george my my profession i have two main professions one i'm a massage therapist strictly within the mode of polarity therapy so when you're talking about charge differential you know positive negative and you know energy electrons moving from one area to another that's my entire practice on that level and then secondarily i build domes so i've gotten very very sensitive to the shapes of structures the feng shui of a structure how energy moves through a structure all the flow forms because at some point we all become i guess you would say hydrologists or fluid dynamicists <laughs> Like you just start to understand that everything is moving, like energy is always moving. And if it's not moving, it's dead and there's a stagnation. And so the, the notion with the mojo was that, okay, this spherical Russian doll action would do what a Joe cell was doing, but all that much better. And it would concentrate the whatever the frequency between the cathode and the anode was would be concentrated better through this this convex curvature through the water medium and then that would actually give us a better uh, a better product and Mo moshe did make it so it was an open membrane so whatever whatever the charge was on the outside could get to the inside and vice versa uh the crazy thing it was was that they were just so sensitive, like ultra sensitive, meaning we could be producing, we could have our scan gauge and we would be running, you know, 30, 40% above our, the normal efficiency out in the country. This is like in 2008. So the 3G networks hadn't been put in yet. But the second we would go into a cityscape, our efficiencies would drop back to, down to normal. <laughs> also, one time, 
we had put these in for a client into a car and she was in a fight with her boyfriend in the back seat. And so he and I were driving the car. We were out in the country. Our efficiency was like around 50, 50% higher than normal. And then they get in a fight and then the thing dropped. And we're like, this is linked to our consciousness. This is linked to uh, uh, the water, like the water within the shape created this, this supreme sensitivity to whatever was around it. Have you ever witnessed anything like that with your experiments? I have witnessed anomalies I haven't been able to uh, reproduce. Uh, quick story. I have an electrolyzer, which I built in 1986. And somewhere around 1993, 94 or something, I was run, running it in my lab. And it was a simple little thing, a metal, uh, a metal cylinder, just mild steel uh, with a stainless steel mesh inside it. Uh, and I was running approximately one amp through what I call my capacitive power supply. So it was absolutely locked in at one amp. There was no possibility of it being anything but one amp current flow. And the um, and it was making approximately one bubble per second, just boop, boop, boop. And a friend of mine and I were leaning back against the bench watching this particular experiment. And it suddenly started to produce massive amounts of, of, uh, of uh, gas, just mm -hmm. almost blew the water out of the cup. That, that it was on so like a thousand times more gas than it was doing and it did it for several seconds maybe five six seconds and then it just there was a little bit of a ping sound and then it went back to just boop 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. what were you guys talking about where like when it went up when you saw the production go up was there something did your guys heart open was there something Something it's very possible because he's the he's the kind of guy I would have been talking about various things with, like, yeah, uh, and and so something that's an example of an anomaly that I I didn't make any changes to the experiment. Now, obviously, changes are being made in the experiment, like over time it heats up, or uh, maybe there's air pressure changes, or various things that something happened that caused it to be super efficient. And I believe this this consciousness thing could possibly be a lot to do with it. I, I've oftentimes theorized that's what ha was happening with the Joe cell, where he could make things happen, whereas other people were duplicating essentially the same experiment and couldn't. Yeah. And so I think that he was he he had he was tuned into something and feeding the uh, the experiment with something that allowed it to work, clean water, uh, run engines, do all these things that the the other people couldn't. Um, I, I don't know exactly what made it makes a Joe cell work. I do so, know that a lot of, go ahead. So I, I had the same thing. Like I'm, as you can tell, I'm a pretty enthusiastic dude mm. and I would install these things and I would get really high efficiencies. And the second I would leave, the thing didn't work for my client the way it did. And it's the same thing with like massage or building or whatever, the, the consciousness of the person that is is animating, the, let's just say the story at that moment, has a lot to do with how it performs. You heard these, these stories from Dale Pond describing John Royal Keeley's work. And you hear the same thing with uh, uh, the son of Victor Schauberger, who could never get his father's stuff to work like his dad did. 
you know, there's so much about this gets into a, a wonderful philosophical discussion of like, what is this place? <laughs> like, what is mind? Because it it does make a difference. Like belief does make a difference. The because the way whenever I would get higher efficiencies, I noticed because I backed into all this, just so you know, this I, I got into living off grid after living in an ashram for four years. So I studied my mind. I really studied where my heart was, what was going on with my mind. Like it was like an eight hour a day affair. Like that was like the, the like the capacity to become sensitive to all these little things that are running in the background, (laughs) you know, the noise to signal ratio. And so by the time I started getting into living off grid and the, the whole over unity world, I didn't have any scientific background or anything like that. I would just follow my heart into like, oh, that makes sense. We're using purified water in a beautiful spherical shape. We're sending harmonics through that shape. And look, these bubbles, when I light them, they don't explode, they implode. That's really cool. (laughs) And I looked at it as this great experiment. I didn't look at it from the scientific model of like, oh, this must yield X and then I'm happy. I had that like playful innocence because I'm enough of a doofus to know that I don't know. And so I was just like experimenting with this stuff and I saw, okay, the Joe cell, they said, you'll get this milky white substance at the top of it, if you run this particular circuit, I think I was running the Emo, I think they called it the Emo Hope Tep circuit. Do you remember that circuit back in the day? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was like in the, in, the, in the world of internet over unity, that was like the circuit that you ran. And so I was running that circuit and, you know, the, the Joe cell provider that I got my Joe cell from, they're like, whatever you do, don't light the the bubbles. So what did I do? <laughs> Get out the lighter. <laughs> so I saw the foam and I was like, oh, that's that milky white bubble that they say is Oregon. Okay. You know, Wilhelm Reich says it's implosion. You know, Victor Schauberger says this is implosion. So, okay. I go ahead and light it and it did exactly that. It collapsed like the, like. It, it was a totally different sound because for those of you that have never heard an implosion relative to an explosion, the your eardrum is sucked out. So it has this very weird sensation on your ears. It's not loud, but it's very like disturbing. It's abrupt. So just a few months later, I get the mojo and... Moshe says, whatever you do, don't light the milky white stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to light it. But because I saw in his mojo, um, we were, I was in my my ex-wife's in-law's house in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. So it's like suburbia. It's like cell phones everywhere, whatever. But I noticed like within 20 minutes, I was getting like three to four times the the amount of that really beautiful like micro bubbles right and so it, i got this nice little crema on top 
and my father-in-law at the time, he was, he was deaf in his right ear and he's standing to my left and I have it right there on the countertop. And I look at him and his dad was an experimenter. So he was all about me lighting it. He's like, yeah, light it. And so I lit it and it did, it exploded and it imploded, excuse me. It imploded and he could hear out of his right ear. And we joked because he was like, yeah, my wife's always standing to my right. So I went deaf on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) And so he could hear out of his right ear for like an hour, whatever that was, like unclogged the, 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 his ear. And so it, it was just this incredible thing. And what I started when I really started to study what water, what I think water is. And, you know, I had read. I guess at that time, four of Wilhelm Reich's books, and they were all much more about like social commentary than they were like social, like uh, science, like his books, at least the ones I was exposed to. He talked about orgone in passing. He didn't so much like constant, like he didn't focus on orgone as, as um, uh, I guess you would say the center of his, it wasn't the thrust of what he was trying to portray in his books. But I had the I had a, the advantage of massaging a woman that lived in one of his communities. Her parents were like, uh, whatever they called them, the they were into Wilhelm Reich and lived in Maine, on on one of those uh, one of the established communities of his. And she would talk about Oregon all the time, and she talked about it in in the same fashion as Chi like prana. And so I'm with this machine and I noticed whenever I would get those milky white bubbles, I would feel the prana in my system rise. And we got it to where like, if we had two cells resonating next to each other, all of our hearts would open. Like it was very, very simple to see like people that were like locked, like people that don't feel their heart their heart would open and they would be in these wonderful states of consciousness. And I think it was just because the, whatever this, whatever the resonance was between the cathode and the anode, along with this beautiful, clean water, the water gets happy. The water, the water is like, yay, you're, you're making me beautiful. And then there's this excess, because one thing that we noticed, and I wanted to talk to you about your machines, is a lot of times we'd run these machines and we would never lose water. But yet we were having an excess, like what would consi- what we would consider an extra volume of, of, of fluid, I'll just call it a fluid, <laughs> that we would be taking out. Have you noticed that in some of your machines? Uh, there have been times when... The, the machines produced way more gas or fluid than than the, they should, according to any kind of theory that is out there in physics or chemistry. Is yes. that the is that the electrically expanded water like you think? Is that what's causing? I, I think in this particular case it, it is. Uh, that because again, it's a side effect of the movement of the electrons. It didn't have anything to do with the Faraday equations. So the Faraday equations say if you move a certain number of coulombs or electrons, let's say, from one en- energy from one place to the other, it, it will disassociate a certain number of the molecules of the fluid. 
Mm-hmm. So in other words, move a certain number of uh, electrons or amperage and you'll get a certain amount of gas. And that has locked in, been known for a couple hundred years. Yet we were getting a scientific uh, uh, independent proof of my machines. The commercial ones I was putting out was showing uh, two watt hours per liter of gas produced. Now this is measuring the entire electricity of the machine, not just the electrolyzer itself, but also including all the inefficiencies of the power supplies and and controls Mm. and everything else that's going on. Less than two watt hours per liter of gas produced. And what that essentially was saying was that there was 50% more, like 150% gas. So a third more gas than theoretically Mm -hmm. should should be possible, according to Faraday. And in my lab, I'm I was barely consistently being able to get down to one watt hour, less than one watt hour per liter of gas produced. So obviously much more efficient as far as the amount of gas it's producing. But I still haven't ever hit that that four uh, hundred or six hundred percent that you would need to self-sustain an engine, like the Anton electrolyzer did, uh, mm. and and things like that. So there there have been many elect, uh, experimenters out there that have run internal combustion engines on water as the as the fuel. I haven't achieved that yet. Mm-hmm. I've only been able to increase the efficiency of combustion of uh, of carbon-based fuels, but I have achieved over unity electrolysis because of these kind of things that you're talking about, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm of the mind, like, I'm not trying to, re- I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. If I get, you know, anywhere between 25 to 50% better fuel efficiency, I'm happy. I just bought a new, well, it's not new to use Toyota that has a V6 engine. We found that with the, with the V engines, for whatever reason, the 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 Joe cell and the Mojo really prefer the V shaped engine. So I've been. Have you have you ever noticed anything like that? The, what type of engines these not, things not like? The type of engine, but I, I I'll just say very quickly. When I was growing up on the ranch, uh, and I I really I hadn't even taken very much mechanics in school or anything, uh, but we fixed things equipment on the ranch mm-hmm. uh, all the time, and I was unaware, quite honestly of what fuel mileage of a vehicle should get. Right. So when when my 1966 Ford pickup truck, which had a, a 352 uh, V8 in it, actually it was turned in, uh, we, we exchanged that to a 361 uh, Ford engine. But in, it, the 361 was the industrial version of the 360. That's why I'm putting the one in there. Mm. So in any case, uh, I simply made a vehicle that could go 36 miles to the gallon, a Ford pickup truck incredible <laughs> because i didn't know you couldn't i just did it <laughs> what 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 was give that history of what like what was the the chronology of when you're like hey i'm going to hook up a hydrolyzer or a browns gas machine to my engine like what was the the logical leap that you made to do that actually believe it or not there were there were none of those on the engine I, I, it was just straightforward mechanics and a mistake. The straightforward mechanics was having a, a very powerful engine with a very low uh, uh, torque range. In other words, that it, it was creating a lot of torque at low RPM. This is commercial uh, camming of the engine, okay? Mm-hmm. And that was hooked to a, a, a transmission, a three-speed uh, transmission. So it was a three on the tree kind of thing, which eventually I changed to a four-speed. So that really didn't make much difference because it was pretty much going straight through. 
But then I went to a high speed rear end, which means it was a two to one rear end. So every time the engine turned over twice, the wheels turned over once, which mm -hmm. is which is quite a bit more. So when I was idling at 1200 RPM uh, at 45 miles an hour on the road, uh, I was only doing I was only doing 1200 RPM at 45 miles an hour. So you can mm -hmm. see the engine wasn't turning over very much. So uh, mechanically, that drivetrain accidentally got put together. I'm going to say, but but that was mechanics. The mm -hmm. accidental part was my uh, inventing what I called the carburetor enhancer. Mm -hmm. I didn't call it that at the time. In fact, I didn't call it anything at the time. I just noticed that if I put a slight vacuum on from the intake manifold onto the uh, vent for the float pole, the engine ran better. And mm -hmm. that was the key thing that doubled the mileage of the truck. So first mm -hmm. of all, it got really good mileage because it had this high, uh, low RPM uh, high speed uh, uh, configuration and it could do that. In fact, it really didn't get up into its torque range until it was over 1200 RPM. So I could go from 45 or 50 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour, just like that. Nice. And that pickup truck did over 160 miles per hour. Wow. Okay? In, in one tested time. I, you don't ever do that at home. Don't No, don't. it'll get yeah. loose really quick. It is. Uh, I, I, I'm surprised I'm still alive. Okay. That was one of the things that should have killed me. Mm -hmm. But when you hear the song Hot Rod Lincoln, okay, telephone poles look like a picket fence, lines on the road just look like dots. The guy beside me was white as a ghost. He really was. He was just, I, I he, he probably just about died. <laughs> the, the transmission was sounding like it was wanting to come up through the floorboards. I'm and I, and the truck was hitting air pockets like, like a battering ram. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was incredible. Uh, don't ever do that. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's, I, I'll just I'll just end it there. So we get back to it. The the truck had a lot of power, and it and it could get really good mileage. And the main reason it got the mileage wasn't just the drivetrain, but the carburetor enhancer. So what happened with the and this is really important for fuel mileage is that gasoline or carbon based fuels can only burn when they're in a vapor form and mixed stoichiometrically or at least within the explosion range uh, with oxygen. Mm -hmm. if, the, if the gasoline vapors, for example, are don't have any oxygen, you can put all the flame you want in there. They will not burn. They mm -hmm. won't oxidize. So you have to have the, the vapor mixture. And the second key is the vapor mixture then has to be uh, put into the engine before the spark plug fires. Mm -hmm. Any liquid that is, ga any gasoline that is liquid when the spark plug fires does not power your engine. It does it, it, during the combustion. It does vaporize. It does mix with oxygen, and it does burn, but that takes too many milliseconds, and you're burning right out the exhaust valves. You're not pushing the piston down. Because of the internal combustion piston configuration, it actually the piston actually stops at top dead center, and then accelerates back down to bottom dead center. Stops and accelerates back up to top dead center. Mm -hmm. During just just before and after the 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 move the top. The piston is moving very slowly, comparatively speaking. We're talking all speeds and stuff, but it it actually does stop and change direction. So during that first about twelve to fifteen degrees is the only time when the when the piston is moving slower than the speed of combustion of the fuel. So then the pit, uh, pressure can build and push on the piston. After the pit, piston is moving too fast, the the fuel just kind of follows it along, and the exhaust valves open, and and out the fuel goes out the exhaust valves, but it. But past a certain point, you're not getting any additional power from the fuel. 
Well, it turns out a vapor mixture of, of gasoline burns in about seven milliseconds. Mm -hmm. And you have about, uh, but, a, but a liquid vapor takes about 25 milliseconds. And mm -hmm. you've only got about five to seven milliseconds between the time that you need to ignite the fuel and, and the piston is moving too fast. So gasoline in its vapor form is perfectly made to get almost 100% uh, mechanical conversion if it's in a vapor form when it's doing it. Mm -hmm. And they've made vehicles. I've got I've taken vehicles well over 200 miles to the gallon. And they've made vehicles that have gotten over 400 miles to the gallon using these uh, vapor, just these vapor techniques without even the uh, uh, water as fuel that, that we're talking about. So it's very important to, to when you're getting the efficiencies of your uh, carbon-based fuel to make the fuel so it'll actually burn at the time it needs to actually burn. And if you can burn it completely at that time, you get away from the myth of burning your exhaust valves. I say the myth in that. What happens is if you have liquid fuel in there and you're burning then you're burning out past the exhaust valves and you'll burn them up. That is true. So if you, but what they do is they add additional gasoline, additional liquid, mm -hmm. and you can do this with adding water as well, but they add additional so that when the, when the combustion happens, it not only gives you the power, but it vaporizes the rest of the fuel, which mm -hmm. incidentally takes away some of your power because that, that heat is used up vaporizing the fuel. So never the, and, and uh, internal combustion engines are heat engines. They run on heat. So anytime mm -hmm. you're taking away heat, you're taking away efficiency. But that vapor, then uh, they vaporize the fuel and they vaporize so much because they added extra that you've gone above the combustion, uh, the upper combustion limit. And your fuel mixture is too rich to burn. And you're, and that cooled mixture then, because it's not burning when it goes out past the exhaust valves, doesn't burn your exhaust valves, but you're polluting the air with all this additional fuel mm -hmm. that you should have been burning in your engine. That's one of my pet peeves is catalytic converters. Because mm -hmm. you're burning the fuel in the exhaust instead of burning it in the engine, which I, I definitely disagree with. Wait a minute. Government regulations make things less efficient? Wait a minute. It's a shocking thing. Can you, <laughs> can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, government should should I mean, what's going on here? Yeah. Let's... Yeah. So thank you by the way for the physics of the engine. That that actually that's a, something that really needs to be talked about. When Ford introduced in the Thunderbird, I think it was 67, and they were spraying water into the engine, at what point of the stroke were they doing that? Like, they had a lot of success with that Thunderbird engine, getting the steam, you know, the expansion aspect of the steam to add, I would think, on the, on the pressure or on the uh, power part of the stroke, right? Um, the the. That was an old technology, actually, that was well developed in the Second World War, and they used to use it to help get airplanes, these heavily loaded bombers, yeah. off the ground uh, by giving it this water burst as it as they were uh, uh, running down the the. Uh, Those were the BMW off. engines, right? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I can't answer your question specifically. I should be able to because I've done a lot of research, but actually, it was more than twenty years ago. So my mind yes. is a little bit uh, hazy on the details, but but essentially, if you can put the water in with the fuel, mm -hmm. so at the same time as the fuel, it doesn't have to go uh, after the fuel because when the fuel burns, it it that 
you're getting the heat necessary to expand the uh, the water, creating the extra steam. And when water turns to steam, it expands 1,500 times, mm -hmm. and it gives that extra uh, push on the piston. So they may change the timing a little bit when it, it, to get the the um, to get it started. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the combustion started a little bit before, more before top dead center, so that you're getting the uh, proper uh, combustion at the, at the right time. And then once the water injection stops, change the timing back to the optimum for just burning the the uh, hydrocarbon fuel. Um, but that's that's what I would think. I, but water injection does work to increase efficiency of the again the hydrocarbon fuel. In fact, if you don't have some trace of water vapor in the mixture air mixture going in, combustion efficiency is very low, very mm. very low. It the hydrocarbon fuels actually require a little bit a little bit at least of water for it to have efficient combustion. You can't just have oxygen in the fuel. So you see the trick here. What you talked about in the beginning was you said, okay, if you do the little stacking, the orgone accumulation on your gas tank, you know, you have your synthetic, you have your uh, metallic, and then you have your cellulitic layering, and you create your gas tank as a quasi orgone accumulator. Guess what it's working on? It's probably working on the water in the tank. It Absolutely. If there is any water in the tank, which virtually there always is, especially in a gas tank, uh, that's one reason they they put in because it gets to be too much water. They put in the methyl hydrate or or some such thing to absorb some of the water, so it'll burn uh, when it goes out through the the engine mm -hmm. instead of just freezing in the tank or in the fuel lines. Do you have a favorite engine manufacturer? Like it? No, no. There, no. there. You have a favorite carburetor. Ooh, so, tell me. <laughs> like I, 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 I was an automotive mechanic mm -hmm. as one of my trades that I've uh, been certified in. So I worked on virtually all different kinds of engines. And uh, I guess if I was to say I had a favorite, it would be a Bork engine, which they really didn't make commercially. But I understand the mechanics and how it was working, and I and I like that. But uh, the carburetor that I most preferred before carburetors went away was called the Motorcraft. 2150, 2150, Watercraft 2150. It had the most advanced air bleed system on it. And the air bleeds were specifically uh, tuned to make the fuel into more of a uh, mist. Instead mm -hmm. of droplets or spray, it missed. And, and, the, and the more you can reduce the droplet size, the more surface area you have, the more surface area, the more evaporation, the more vapor, the more efficient the fuel would burn. Mm -hmm. So the, and when you put my carburetor enhancer on it, oh, we get back to that particular thing, because that's what I had on that uh, that truck that would get 36 miles to the gallon at 45 miles an hour, uh, is it was one of these Ford Motorcraft 2150s. Mm -hmm. And so putting a slight vacuum, which I called the carburetor enhancer at later times when I really understood what I was doing uh, to the float bowl vent. So what happened is the, the vacuum of the engine would hold some of the fuel in the float bowl, not allow it to spray out into the engine. And that enhanced the action of the air bleeds because not so much fuel was flowing as the air bleeds came in. People have to understand what an air bleed is. Uh, just a quick uh, explanation. You can imagine you have a tank and you have a hose going up and out. And if you start a siphon, it'll continue to siphon the water out of that tank. Mm -hmm but you don't want your float bowl to empty when the engine isn't running. 
So they put a little teeny hole at the top of the of the siphon tube. So as soon as there isn't a vacuum or, or a venturi pulling on the fuel, it it drops back into the float bowl. It, it allows air to go in so that this, it stops the siphon. Mm-hmm. But that teeny little hole is called an air bleed. And they, they discovered that those air bleeds increase the efficiency of the of the fuel burning because it that little bit of air that comes in the air bleed all the time when it's when the fuel is being pulled. So in other words, the fuel is being pulled from the engine, from the float bowl through the siphon, but also at the same time, the vacuum is pulling a little tiny bit of air in, making air bubbles go down in, and then it goes out as droplets. Well, if you enhance that uh, air bleed action, it goes out as a froth or a spray. And, and that increased the amount of vapor, which then increased the efficiency of combustion of the hydrocarbon fuel. That's wonderful. So, because the air fuel mixture is like everything, the I've never dealt with carburetors in a car, but I had a lot of quads. <laughs> and so the carburetors, like cleaning the carburetor and doing all these things, do you, does your mechanism that you have, could I actually attach that to my quad? Yeah, absolutely. You can put it on any carburetor. The carburetor enhancer works particularly well on downdraft carburetors, but it'll even work on side draft carburetors. In any case, Downdraft the, uh, means the air box is higher than the carburetor. Like what? What? What designates uh, it, it downdraft? It means that the air is going down into the intake manifold. Okay. Updraft carburetors have the air coming from below and up into the intake manifold. Uh-huh. And side draft, a lot of motorcycles goes from the side directly into the manifold. Uh, a lot of old farm tractors used updraft uh, carburetors, and and there was actually uh, called puddle carburetors as well, and they got extremely high mileage, extremely high. But because going knew. up, it had to create more of a it more I, vacuum, more turbulence, exactly. more, more vapor. All this I get it, okay. I get it. But no one knew what kind of mileage they were getting because people didn't put uh, tractor engines in vehicles. Uh-huh. So you had a tractor out in the oh, field, oh, contrary, around the field, contrary, all day on five gallons of gas. I I gotta tell you something. I laughed at all this BS out there about all these car mileages. My dad it bought a 1984 Mercedes SD Turbo. He bought it in 1986 or 87. That S-Class Mercedes with a five-cylinder turbo diesel engine that was Mercedes made for a German tractor company for 30 years, inline five-cylinder diesel engine in the 80s, that big sleuth of a car, he was getting 40 miles a gallon. I believe it. Yep. So what they did is they put that tractor engine into a, a car. Look, look just, at You'll love this. This is why like people I who just do- want to interrupt just, just really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, shoot, I'm forgetting the exact uh, mileage, but it's it's more like 200 miles per gallon per ton is what semi-trucks get on the road. Mm-hmm. So if you figure out the mileage and you and you uh, con- convert it to tonnage, so if they're, they're hauling 40,000 pounds to convert that, uh, diesel trains, diesel electric trains are getting 900 miles per gallon per ton. An wow. ordinary automotive vehicle weighs about a ton. So oh, two tons, getting, right? A normal automotive. 2,000 pounds, about 2,000, which is one ton. No, most, most vehicles now are around 4,000 pounds. Okay, so take a one ton vehicle mm-hmm. and 
And the one ton vehicles are getting in the range of 20, 30 miles to the gallon. Uh, and But a, a one ton on a train is getting 900 miles to the gallon. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. Oh, it's, it's wonderful because I've been, I'm so lucky that I came into the over unity world when I did and didn't have, I didn't have any of the BS about, you know, carbon credit, like all that stuff. Right. And so when I started to work on motors, I'm like, dude, the combustion engine is incredible. We're just not even getting close to tapping into the efficiency that's available for it. And like you're saying, these tractor engines and these locomotive engines, these huge trucks that carry so much stuff as a, as a contractor, as a builder, I'm always telling people the cost of your house deals with the weight that goes into it. Because moving all the materials from a given distance, like when you do an embodied energy study on a building, all the embodied energy study is, is how far did the materials and what were the weight of the materials that went into that house go relative to the, the life cycle of, of the construction. And so <laughs> people have no idea what things weigh. Like they, like to, to talk about a locomotive having that amount of efficiency is just mind boggling. And, oh, Elon Musk is going to save the world with his BS, you know, electrical cars. Can, like, can I interrupt quickly? Please, please, please. please okay, please. because there's there's a very uh, relevant thought having to do with exactly this. Electric vehicles are going to save the world. Governments tell us this. Okay, the government. Yes. Oh, we know all about governments, right? Yes. Okay, so Highly efficient. Pushing for uh, virtually well, a large portion of the uh, vehicles to be... Um, electric, let's say 60% by 2030, 2050, whatever, whoever Terrible. you're listening. Okay. The point is experts, people who, who really understand what's going on, unlike uh, government uh, uh, bureaucrats, are looking at the at the actual logistics of what's going on. And they say, okay, there's two, there's two different things I want to talk about. First of all, the, the logistics and second of all, carbon. Don't let me forget. Okay. okay. So the logistics say, that in order to build an electric vehicle, you need uh, battery materials, you need copper, you need all the all these additional things that you don't necessarily need for an internal combustion uh, vehicle. And Correct. to mine, this is where you start. You start at the mines. Conflict metal. Where you're, where you're actually <laughs> making things. And I, and I worked in mines, okay? I worked in the blasting crew and drove trucks and, and processing and, and all of these kind of things when I was younger. I know what it takes to take copper out of the ground. You take copper out of the ground, then you can put it into the processing and you can make the copper and, and all of these things take energy. So it's all taking energy. It's all burning uh, fuels that, that make carbon, all that kind of thing. Okay, they're saying, these experts are saying that we're gonna have to increase in order to meet a 2050 deadline to put 60% uh, uh, electric vehicles on the road. We need to increase the mining by 7,000%. No way. Seven thousand percent. No way. Increase from now, and our and our economies are trashed. How are we going to do that? It's no not way. possible. Nope. It isn't going to happen. It isn't mm -hmm. physically possible. Okay, so that's the first point. The second point is their math is a little bit wrong because they're not considering what you're talking about. The embodied energy study 
but we'll apply it to uh, uh, carbon carbons and all these carbon taxes and, and mm -hmm. carbon everything, this and that that is going on out there. Turns out that by the time you do all the mining and uh, production and putting an electric vehicle together, you've already expended a certain amount of carbon, doxa, uh, carbon it, in, into the vehicle. And when you buy that vehicle, you buy it with that um, with that expenditure. Right. Turns out that if you if you run a regular uh, fuel engine, and, and we're not even talking about the kind of efficiencies that we've been talking about earlier in this show, which you definitely should be doing, mm -hmm. again, government, <laughs> but we'll come back. You have to run a car, an electric vehicle 120,000 miles at lower carbon output to equal the uh, the carbon footprint of a regular, uh, let's say, mm -hmm. petrol gasoline car. Uh, car. Mm -hmm. So they both start out, you both bought them. The electric vehicle has a whole bunch of extra carbon just from its production. Mm -hmm. And as you run them, they're, they're 120,000 uh, miles. In the end, you come break even at 120,000 miles, okay? Because mm -hmm. I was a mechanic, I know this particular fact. 120,000 miles is considered to be the cutoff point of the useful life of a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So there's absolutely no gain you have to run the electric vehicle more than 120,000 miles to even start to get a gain on the carbon output of the, of that particular vehicle. It's incredible. It's incredible. I I, I know it's a BS. I because I, I, I actually have a couple friends that have Teslas. They can't get them fixed, like when they break. And the the whole thing, the whenever they throw an Einstein or they throw a Tesla, or you know. You get that amount of subsidies from Big Gov. That's all you have to know. If if you're being subsidized at that level, you're not you're not there for humanity's sake. <laughs> it, it it's a marketing ploy, and exactly. um, I I actually love I love engines and or I should say gasoline. Um, What's the Rank Hilsch? It's called the Rank Hilsch cycle motors. Is that is that the correct way of saying it? Uh, Rankine. Rankine. And Rankine is a steam engine uh, mm -hmm. type. Uh, like uh, I think you're thinking it's an auto cycle. Is the gasoline the regular uh, gasoline? Auto cycle. Because there's so much when you start to learn that the majority of the inefficiencies have been programmed into things. And then there's been such a massive amount of marketing because we found another problem that we were having with our devices was that the the actual programming of the ECUs didn't allow the engines to actually run at higher efficiencies. Well, we were putting on piggyback ECUs, just putting on piggyback ECUs, we ended up getting in a lot of uh, in a lot of situations we were getting 25, 30 percent gain in efficiency, but just that yeah and and i i'd like to interrupt again okay please do fuel ratios i am a mechanic i have a traditional training as well as my untraditional uh, uh, training at the beginning mm -hmm. so my untraditional training as i went through my traditional training uh, allowed me to have a little bit more of an open mind because i didn't just absorb what i was being taught mm -hmm. uh, because i had actual experience that said, hey, you, this something's not right here with this math. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when they tell you the air fuel ratio of gasoline is 14.7 to one, that is correct in open air. And those three words are vital. Huge, huge. 
as soon as you put the the combustion in an enclosed chamber and it's pressurize hot. it, everything changes. Mm -hmm. But they don't teach mechanics that. They teach mechanics the open air combustion ratio. And then they set the vehicles, they design the vehicles and carburation systems to run on that ratio, mm -hmm. including throwing in a whole bunch of extra fuel because that's what you have to do in order to keep the engine from destroying itself with carbon buildup and, and uh, burning the valves and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. As soon as you compress a mixture, it's, it's fuel ratio changes. It, a lot, it's ability to uh, um, self-propagate and, mm -hmm. and explode, all that kind of stuff. So a very teeny amount of uh, fuel vapor can, can explode. And it's a good thing that that actually is true because most of the fuel in a regular carburation or even fuel injection system that goes in isn't vapor. It's mm -hmm. liquid and it won't explode like I originally talked about before. Right. So we have a very teeny amount of the fuel that's actually exploding and actually driving the engine already. Mm -hmm. So we get back to uh, the, the fuel ratio lie, I call it. And on my website, eagle-research.com, mm -hmm. I, I talk about the fuel ratio lie and I, and I, and I lay it out all the math, all the experiments, everything. So that anybody who cares to look can see that the uh, air fuel ratio of an internal combustion engine uh, is totally off, totally mm -hmm. incorrect. What? And once you see that the math is incorrect and in life it's incorrect, you can start to believe these things like 200 mile per gallon carburetors and mm -hmm. stuff can exist. And why? The ratio is different. Yeah. What, what's been the leanest ratio you've gotten to? I, I actually don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's well, it's, uh, I, I think it's, no, I, I can't say what the actual ratio is, but, but I was getting well over 200 miles to the gallon in a 1974 GMC pickup truck with a, uh, two, a three, a 260 engine. That's in line. Bravo, my man. Bravo. Yeah. So let's make a transition here from, we're talking about motors. We're talking, we originally started talking about collagens, this orgone, this plasmatically infused water, this, as you say, electrically expanded water. It's not just for mechanical things. This is for our bodies. Um, I got exposed to your machine uh, I was working at a spa in Costa Rica, I believe in 2019. And at the time it was during like the height of my massage season. And so the owner was like, Hey, try this Brown's gas machine. And I went ahead and put it on and I fell asleep and it was like midday and I'm not a napper. And I was just like, I was like, Whoa. And I was like, God, it made me so tired. And then the owner said, you probably needed to sleep. And at that point, it was true. I was only getting like five, six hours a night. And like my body just instantly fell into rest mode. And it wasn't like a time that I even thought I, I needed to rest. It was like midday, got done with my morning massages and I just dropped and I got up. And for like the next two days, I had this deep sleep cycle. So I was like, wow, that's exact. It gave me exactly what I needed. My, my body needed to have that restorative, like <laughs> you're out. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
and then there was I uh, two of my friends. One was Moshe Daniel. Another one I'm not going to name her name, but I told them about your machine. They ended up buying their own versions, and I had I I went ahead and and breathed through those machines and and did cycles. I ended up getting a a machine from a competitor of yours just because it's an inventor friend of mine, uh, the <laughs> H two Genesis machine, and um. The effects on that machine are not what I experienced with your machines. I'm thinking that um, what you're talking about, the electron bridge, the, the so-called electron bridge, let's just call it a bridge, the bridge between the cathode and the anode in, in his machine. Um, in hearing you speak, I'm feeling like that that's not being established. I think it's a, his machine's more of a hydroxy machine. So that has its benefits, I but the, I think the Genesis machine is very similar. Uh, but there, but there are different things that I do that cause my machine to be more efficacious, uh, and and I guess those modifications were enough for you to be able to feel it. But the Genesis machine is built on a simply on on a similar chassis. Yes, we're both buying the machines from the same uh, uh, type of company in China, mm -hmm. but I take my machines completely apart and completely rebuild them right mm -hmm. from the uh, nuts and bolts up. The thing is I can buy those, we go back to this uh, embodied energy study kind of thing. Yes. I can buy the parts from China in, in this uh, chassis for let's call it a 10th what I can make the parts for in, in America. And I'm sorry that that's the case, but because I, I hate buying from China, but that is the case. It is what it is. The difference is that I, I take it completely apart and rebuild it with my technology and the Genesis people don't. They yes. uh, they more or less make the minimal modifications to the Chinese version, and that difference you're you're seeing, and I'm and I'm I'm not happy to hear it, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean it's a good machine. Um, I ended up blowing it up because I didn't put a flashback arrestor. I got a torch. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have this tendency of uh, wanting to light Brown's gas. <laughs> imagine imagine that but i i totally forgot to put a flashback arrestor on it so needless to say that machine i'm glad i didn't kill myself uh that was a very very uh unfortunate unfortunate thing but um you know because i have friends that have your machine and i've i've been able to try it with them i find that whatever your machine is producing the deep rest cycle within me comes like it comes. And I always feel a rejuvenation after the cycle. So like when my body goes into that deep rest aspect and I drop, you know, during that time I'm lower, what would be considered lower energy, but it's literally like, it's, you know, the powering down of the death star. It's like my whole system mm -hmm. And then I come back and I spring to life and it's just like, whoa, I'm back. You know, I'm fully back. I can, I can give my all. I figured that if I, if I had it on a more regular basis, I wouldn't actually need that drop down. And I've heard in so many of your discussions where you've touched on with people, the differences between protium and deuterium. And as, as a, as a water nerd and somebody that's been like really into looking into deuterium depleted water, what makes deuterium depleted water, 
I'm of the mind that that electronic that electrically expanded water that plasmatic whatever is actually like a proteolytic gas if if I was to guess do you think that uh, do you think that I, has some I don't merit know if I'd define it that way but it is uh heavy water or deuterium deficient or actually doesn't exist at all exactly electrolyzers electrolyzers were the way that uh, they actually made heavy water or deuterium uh in during the second world war when they were making the, all the atomic uh, uh bombs and 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 stuff like that mm -hmm. so to make heavy water they were using electrolysis and the reason for it is that ordinary water has about one to five thousand uh units of uh, regular um of deuterium in it, heavy water. Mm -hmm. And as they electrolyze away the light water, the heavy water stays in the electrolyzer. And interestingly enough, it also increases the efficiency of the electrolyzer, it increases this uh, electron bridge thing I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, that, that we can go aside from that right at the moment. We can say that uh, when the gas comes out as Brown's gas, it doesn't have the heavy water in it. So right. when you burn the Brown's gas and it turns back into water, it turns back into light water. Okay. Nice. H2O, not the uh, D2O. So the, uh, it, and that's one way that we're making deuterium depleted water, DDW, is by burning the Brown's gas and collecting Precisely. moisture, uh, the, the steam, condensing the moisture into water, back into water. And that also then is new water. I don't right. know if we want to get into new water. I totally, that, I, that's all, like on my board here, I have water torch. Connecting to new water, connecting to deuterium, or excuse me, uh, protium, homeopathic dose. Like I, I want, this is, this is the juice for me. New water okay. is the juice. Well, new water has, it goes right into everything it has to do that we're learning about water. So 50 years ago, you'd ask a scientist, what do we know about water? And the scientist would say, we know everything about water. We know it's. Uh, how it performs under any circumstances. We, water holds no mysteries anymore. <laughs> well, it turns out that's not true. <laughs> Fools. Yeah, well, we don't know what we don't know, right? And and that's what I learn as an inventor is the more I learn, the less I know. Right. Okay. So one of the things that I've learned is that water contains energies of all different kinds, energies and information, and it can absorb and deal with them. It's like the amorphous life energy of the universe, if mm -hmm. a person could say. Uh, it's the first step down from hydrogen, like you just add an oxygen uh, atom and, and you've got a different molecule. Hydrogen seems to be what the uh, universe is mostly made of. Mm -hmm. And I think that they've shown that hydrogen spontaneously uh, appears and disappears in space. Yes. Like it, it's it's the first thing that appears on the periodic table in our physical universe that we live in, which appears to be uh, uh, stable by consensus. Mm -hmm. In other words, we all <laughs> think, we mostly think that it, things should be the way that they are. And, and, and when you drop things, there's gravity and it falls down and, and people have all this concept of how it's supposed to be. So that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. It appears that's, to me, that's the way the universe is formed by consensus of all the living beings in it. So the uh, and then you get these once in a while people like uh, Joe, who, uh, who who are thinking a little out of the consensus and they can make something work that doesn't work by our regular physical. Because uh, they have physical. higher capacitance. 
<laughs> whatever it happens to be. They're tapped more into this, uh, yeah. uh, whatever's going on. Oh, by the way, uh, I inhale, uh, people see me with the uh, cannulas on and they might think that I'm inhaling oxygen. I'm not. I'm inhaling Brown's gas even as we yeah. speak. Okay. I, I've my 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 uh, the people that watch me they've seen me with it on because yeah. I I've I've done the same thing I would get messaging and they'd be like are you okay I'm like this is Brown's <laughs> gas don't worry about it yes okay so we get back to the uh, new water well it turns out that new water can do things that uh, are essentially ascribed to what I call or what I understand the philosopher's stone to be mm-hmm. so if you research the philosopher's stone where uh, it can give life, it can uh, transmit, it can uh, heal, it can uh, transmute into various materials like gold, that's supposedly a philosopher's stone. Well, it turns out that uh, Brown's gas has done all of these things and and drugs and fuel. I think that's one of the reasons that they can make water as fuel. And when I get back into my research, I'm gonna be uh, researching this. You can turn new water into fuel. Yes. I think there's you can program new water to act just like gasoline or diesel. So bet- it'll actually have the same combustion characteristics as gasoline or diesel. Mm-hmm. So they, they, this is the kind of thing that uh, new water can do. They, they've uh, shown like, um, let's get my, get it, Luc Montier, uh, the, 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 the virologist that discovered the AIDS virus died a couple of years ago. Un- it's, it's unfortunate. I did manage to meet him before he died and uh, tell him how amazed I was uh, at his work. In any case, one of the things that he did was he took uh, the vibrations from uh, a a flask that had certain DNA in it Mm -hmm. and sent those vibrations over the phone lines to another flask that just had water in it. Mm -hmm. And the DNA formed in that water from the vibrations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Life, life itself, everything, and this is one of the reasons I'm saying we we exist by consensus. Now, the thought was started by what I call God, mm-hmm. or the universal intelligence, and and we exist because they, we were loved into existence. But we're given independent uh, uh, thought, and and we can make our own choices, and we can choose to change things. Could be a little bit co-creators. Yes, and and we do. Yeah, but, but this I've... new water. Go ahead. I, I've played with radionics devices and radionics devices works in a lot of the same principle as like, you know, the frequency, you can take the a frequency that is local in one area that let's say has the signature of such and such, and you create that frequency in a non-local area, and then you have the exact effect of what the signature was from the original one. And that's a way oversimplification, but it's this whole thing that we started this conversation with that all is mine, you know, and I actually think there's a higher frequency, like what you just said about, you know, we were loved into existence. I mean, you're a man after my own heart. Hmm. God is the core radiant heart. And then the mind comes from the heart. The mind doesn't create the heart. So I'm not a Descartes person where it's like, you know. I think, therefore, I am. It's I am, therefore, I think. And that amness comes from the heart, from the spiritual heart. But anyway, like that that notion of new water, like I have it right here on my board. I see new water as the absolute perfect homeopathic remedy. I just made that note. 
<laughs> okay, in order to talk about it, because I believe exactly the same thing, and I have for a long period of time. So you get the vibrations of something uh, that they say treat like with like in homeopathy. Yes. Like so like you like. have something that creates the same symptoms. If the person is sick with uh, runny nose and stuff, you find a plant that would give a person runny nose. Mm -hmm. You treat what that's and and it and it uh, alleviates the symptoms. So the uh, but you can't treat them with the plant itself often because the plant itself may be poisonous, like right. hemlock or something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you can take a teeny bit of that plant, put it in water, uh, shake up the water, take that a tenth of that water, put it in another uh, jug of water, shake that up. So you haven't even taken the plant with the original. So there's no mm -hmm. molecules. By the time you do this 10 times, there's no molecules of the original uh, poisonous plant in the water. Mm -hmm. But the energy signature is still the same and the effect is still the same. So then they make the homeopathic, homeopathic remedies using that. Mm -hmm. But also it's been shown quite conclusively that what you think about the water makes a difference as well. Completely. That uh, holds that memory and thought. So you can think bad thoughts into the water and you can cause somebody to be ill. Like they've done it with plant experiments mm -hmm. where they, they've thought good thoughts. Uh, Emoto. Um, uh, Masamura Emoto. Exactly. Uh, did a lot of freezing. And so you could see the beautiful crystalline shapes when when uh, water was thought with good thoughts like uh, love and hope and 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 then anger and and uh, and jealousy and that kind of things makes amorphous water. They could, they're freezing it so you can see a physical effect. But then when it comes to the um, the actual what it does in a, in a plant or a human or an animal, they've also done the experiments where they fed the water, the plants, uh, the water that was loved and the plants flourished and the water that was hated and, and the plants would tend to die. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons I think that the, the habit of uh, praying and appreciating your food before you eat it, it gives you more nutrition. Yes. And almost everybody I know that is sensitive, they've known when the person that's prepared their food has been in a bad or crappy mood and vice versa. <laughs> the reason why grandma's food always tastes so good, it has nothing to do with the ingredients is grandma loves you, man. Grandma wants to nourish you. So her Toll House cookies are the same Toll House cookies that you're going to buy from some schmuck on the road. The difference is grandma wants to see you smile. So guess what? It imparts that. And, yes. and, and my feeling is, is that the new water, because dude, in my practice, the majority of what people suffer from is dehydration. And the reason why they're dehydrated, I had this direct, this was my, this was my realization for myself. I grew up in South Florida where they openly pump sewage into the aquifer to keep the water high enough for all their systems to work, for the water treatment systems to work. And they'll say it. They're like, yeah, it, the, the poo sinks. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll chlorinate it to death. There's no, there's no problem. We'll put lye, chlorine, fluoride. Don't worry about it. And so my body had a trauma with water. So even if I was putting water, like good, healthy water into my system, I had P my, <laughs> my cells had intracellular PTSD. They're like, no, stay away, stay away, stay away. And I, it took 
six months living in the rainforest of Costa Rica, getting water directly from a spring before I felt my, my third eye, my pineal gland popped. And then I was like, Oh my God, I can think like I, I, I and it was cause now the waters within were corrected. It took that much time for my body to, to say, Oh, I accept you now because I had washed in that terrible water. I had like drank that terrible water ever since I was a little kid. And so my body was just starving for good water. And I see that in all my, well, I shouldn't say all my clients. There's, there are a few that are hydrated, but I think a lot of people are suffering from extreme dehydration, even though they might be taking in a lot of fluid, quote unquote. Yes. One of the things I discovered fairly quickly when I was drinking Brown's Gas bubbled water. Yes. You, you drink a bunch of water and then it's like your body gets rid of the old water because it wants the new water. Yes. You immediately have to urinate a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. yeah. So that like, I mean, that that whole notion of the waters within and the waters without, because once you start to understand, like we're talking about engines and, you know, pressure differential and all these things, it, and we're talking about chi and prana, all this is this, it's, it's, it's a flow, it's a movement, like we have a space that is filled with ether, the most subtle and then it goes to the most gross, but this space is always moving energy from like one side to the other. It's moving it in these special ways. And like it, it, it will appear to like freeze in space and time in a certain space and it will lock. And that's what I call a trauma. That's what's felt as a trauma. And so many people are, are under the trauma of bad water. And that's why I feel like this new water, this, this homeopathic dose of new water, a person wouldn't even need to drink it. Just being in the presence of it. Like I've had homeopathic remedies I didn't even take. I just put it in my hand. And it was just like, done. It's yes, done. It's true. Yeah. What do they call it? Kinesthetic, where you can, you can measure. Exactly. The, the kinesiology, like, well, they'll do the muscle testing. It was just like, yeah. oh, no big deal. And so with the new water, I think with, uh, there's all these legends in every, you know, grouping of people being near the healing waters. Didn't say that they, they even had to get in them. Just being around the spring of life. You're just like, Ah, revitalized. Like there's this revitalization, the 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 adding of quality. Can I tell you about the experiment I want to do? Oh, please. <laughs> I sent it to you in an email. I don't think I was being uh, is uh is clear as I I should have been. So I'm gonna take a mojo cell. I'm gonna I make biochar. I make uh pyrolyzed carbon. So pyrolyzed carbon has an extremely high diamagnetic charge. So I'm going to make it, um, I'm going to refine it down to the smallest particulates that I can get. I'm going to mix it with new water, a liter of new water, <laughs> and put it in the mojo. And then what I want to do is I want to find a charging circuit 
where there's a slight differential of the frequency of the energy that's going to the cathode and the anode. Because that's where we were having a lot of fun with, with these cells. Like to find a, a harmonic between the cathode and the anode. And so you have this biochar infused new water within a mojo cell. And I want to see what type of, of uh, orgone, what type of Brown's gas that produces. Do you think the diamagnetic aspect of the, of the biochar would ruin it? No, no. If anything, it might enhance it. That was my feeling too. Moshe said that we should throw a little bauxite clay in there just so you have the paramagnetic and the diamagnetic. <laughs> the, the, Please the experiment. We see this is the thing is there's things we don't know. Exactly. And we don't know. And even when we get the results of an experiment, mm -hmm. we may not even know what caused the results or didn't cause the results. So right. the more a person experiments, the better we understand things. And, and the more we understand things, the less we know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, dude. I, I mean, that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about experimentation. That's why I resonate with you so much. I mean, you're much more experienced than I am with experimentation. But my life, my mind opened when I was exposed to really good water. And then my life became like MacGyver. It was like, how do I take what's immediately in front of me and use it and like get more efficient and get better? And it's just life without experimentation is just, it's, it's sort of not even life. <laughs> I actually think of life as, as experimentation. It's just like, you know, if you're not, you know, doing the made in the creator thing, um, at least for me, the way I'm wired is just like ever since I've gotten to that, like, let's get resourceful, let's make things efficient. Because in my mind's eye, and you're probably coming from this too, because I, I, I can, I can feel your vibe. There is a love for creation when you're trying to be efficient. Uh, certainly, I, I call it laziness on my side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I'm lazy. Like I know well, I'm, I know I'm lazy. But I think that's more, the more I talk to people like you that, that have done, at, at, have, have performed at a certain level, all of us think we're lazy. Mm -hmm. But what I think it really is, is we like to play to our strengths. And, and that is very true. What, what happens as an inventor, what I discovered, uh, back on the ranch, I didn't like to fix things more than once. That's why I say I'm lazy. I, exactly. didn't, I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. Right. So I'd figure out why something broke and I'd fix it so that it wouldn't break that way again. Right. Now it breaks some other way in which I'd fix that. So eventually I ended up with very strong, very reliable, very efficient machinery. Mm -hmm. right. And that's how I, how I projected right into all my inventing. So that's, that's where the laziness came into the, to the fact, mm -hmm. but as you're pointing out, one thing you have to understand when you're an inventor, you have to become very um, okay with is being wrong. Right because I'm wrong most of the time. Yes. 99% well, of the time, 99% of my experiments don't turn out the way that I would hope that they mm -hmm. would. But that 1%, that 1%, then you can play to the strength of that 1%. And you can do things that no one has ever done before. Yes. 
Yes. It, it's, I bring up all the time when I was growing up in the eighties, there was this Michael Jordan commercial where it shows these statistics of all the times he missed a shot, all the mm -hmm. times he was fouled out all the times. And it was these huge numbers. And the very last thing was like how many game winning, you know, shots he made. And it was the lowest number, but the whole gist of the commercial was like, you're not going to score unless you shoot. And my very first coach, he said that to me as a little guy, he was just like, you know, my parents were getting yelled at by like helicopter soccer parents. And, mm -hmm. and the coach like got on him is like, Hey, he's not going to score unless he shoots. And it's just one of those things. Like you can't be afraid to miss. You just have to go for it. Cause we're all going to miss that. I mean, to, to be human is to error. Like that's, that's what it is. Like none of us are perfect. So screw it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I said. Accept the consequences either way. Exactly. Like you're going you're to make bad mistakes. And, but in the, in the end, you have to live with whatever has happened one way or the other. And so you, if you did something wrong, you make it better and you learn. It's like Thomas Edison. He said, I, I didn't fail 4,000 times when I was inventing the best uh, filament for a light bulb, I just found 4,000 ways that weren't as good. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. And, now, he was the uh, work hard uh, type of inventor. And then uh, Tesla was the think hard type of inventor. Mm -hmm. Because he would do a lot of thinking. And then his experiments usually worked right out of the box kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Out of his out of his mind when he would build them. So he, he called it the inspiration and perspiration. Uh, Edison was a perspiration inventor and and uh, Edison tended to be an inspiration inventor. Mm -hmm. I, I tend to go more on, I, I aspire to the uh, Tesla because mm -hmm. I'm lazy, but I tend to be more toward the Edison because I'm just not that good. <laughs> you know what? I'm a, I'm a hybridizer. So I look at all you guys, like all you geniuses that have done stuff and I look at it and I just look at my own life experience. And then I'm, I'm literally like, you know, my, um, my friends in Costa Rica used to call me Sanford because I would see something and I would upcycle it or recycle it for some other purpose. Like you, I would just see something stupid, like an old water tank. And I'd like, take it. They'd be like, why do you have all these water tanks at your house? I'm like, do you know the metal that's in this thing or the old CRT uh, TVs? I'm like, do you know how much copper and magnets are in these things? Like there's all, you know, that's the way my mind works. So you know, to be able to, to honor God's creation with making things more efficient and taking another man's trash and making it into treasure, I think is a, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. And your work where you're making machines more efficient, you're, you're bringing sunlight <laughs> because that's that's what i think these water torches are i think these water torches are essentially the the sun like the more i read from the the perspective of the um the alchemist of what the sun and the moon are from a plasma perspective and how they are the bearer of water like you know water from fire like a, a lot of times I think like the, the new water that, that is, is coming from these torches is, is it's like almost like a direct mirror of how the bigger, the macro works. 
you know, we were earlier talking about how, how everything here is pretty much, you know, a, uh, a substrate of, of mind, which is a substrate of heart. And the plasma, the fourth phase of, of material is sort of this, like, you know, this interdimensional aspect of creation. So this, I really think that as we enter, or maybe we're already in it, I don't know. But like, as we enter the, the age of the water bearer, the age of Aquarius, where you have, you know, from a, from an astro theological perspective, you have, you know, the man holding the jug of water and pouring it out, all the things the, the incredible mystery of, of water is going to become more and more relevant in everybody's consciousness. And I think we'll be better for it. I agree. And and that's definitely where we're headed. We're we're just in the beginning phases. We have no idea. It's like when the uh personal computer was invented. Who would have known that, that we'd be speaking like this? Right. Like this goes way beyond Dick Tracy and and all that kind of imagination that they were having back in the day. We're just at the beginning phases of this new understandings of water, the new mm -hmm. the new physics and uh, and it, it's it's not even physics and chemistry it goes beyond that our science isn't even tuned to what we need to know to understand water the way that it really needs to be understood which will revolutionize everything that we know mm -hmm. and hopefully we can get rid of uh, governments and politicians that that just uh, you know are complicating our life <laughs> <We can. laughs> agreed so other than aquacure.life George, you've been so generous with your time. Where else can people find your work? Um, what else do you have coming up on the horizon? Please do tell and share. Uh, my main body of work is on the eagle-research. So it's eagle like the bird and then a hyphen mark research.com. And that has my fuel savers and energy uh, discoveries and, and theories and all that kind of stuff. But there's like 5,000 pages there. Mm -hmm. So I, I broke out the stuff that had to do with aquacure and browns gas for health uh, into the aquacure.life website so you go there and you can and you can just see that health purposes and you can see the story about me and all that kind of thing but if you want to uh, look more into the fuel saving and all of that you can go back into my eagle eagle-research.com website oh that's i'm so excited i i'm i'm glad that we're starting this friendship um I'm really looking forward to sharing with you my, my findings. <laughs> uh, hopefully I don't blow myself up when I start lighting more Brown's gas. But um, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the BioCharisma podcast. I'll send, I'll send it to you as soon as uh, we're up. We're probably going to post in a couple weeks. And um, I, I really look forward to a continued correspondence. That sounds wonderful. Hope All right. See you soon. All right, George, you have a wonderful day. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the podcast with George Weissman. I believe that's number 21, y'all. We, we did 20 like nothing. Uh, it's been wonderful. Got some great guests coming up here. I'm down in Costa Rica right now. And uh, I'll be doing some in-person uh, interviews with uh, a gentleman named Govinda Ja and another wonderful uh, gentleman, uh, Kevin O'Neill. And uh, we're going to get into uh, deep thoughts with Vedanta Advaita. 
and we're also going to get into some of the roles of of shamanism of appropriate shamanism so that should be a lot of fun um, <laughs> things are really moving now uh, after my sessions with Dr. Moshe Daniel, I feel like I'm back to 100%, and so a lot of things are going to start to happen on the on the Gardner Domestead. We're going to be uh, pushing forward with uh, putting in the foundation and doing a bunch of uh, super adobe walls. You know, pretty much this early summertime, and um, yeah, getting approval down here in Costa to start phase three of my development. So things are moving very well. Um, the podcast is growing. You guys in the chat have been awesome. Um, you know, just everybody's been interacting with a lot of respect, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, so if you enjoy the podcast, please um, donate. I always like re reciprocity. Um, I'm also offering the Celestic Profiling now. I've created a system internally where it doesn't take me as much time to do it anymore and uh, now that I have about a hundred of them under my belt I uh, feel very confident in my capacity to help people with that so remember the Celestic Profile is really there to make you okay with yourself and uh, it's a product that I know that sounds kind of <laughs> new agey and stuff like that but you'd be amazed of how the ego will trip you up with uh, internal self-judgment so it's a it's a really good thing so thank you for for checking out the podcast you can um i'll have george weissman's contact in in the body of the notes for the aquacure i believe it's aquacure 50 and then also eagle eagle-research.co and uh, thank you again and we'll see you next week I can tell